Hey everyone, and welcome back to True Crime Cases. I'm your host, Allison Mendes, and today I'm going to be updating you guys on the Suzanne Morphew case. Suzanne's case was the very first one that I covered, so I would definitely suggest going back and listening to that episode first if you are not familiar with this case. This week, Barry Morphew, Suzanne's husband, who has been charged with her murder, um, had his preliminary hearing, and we finally got some information and a more clear motive and timeline for this case. Information in this case has not been made public. It has not been readily available. Barry's arrest affidavit, which is reportedly 129 to 130 pages long, will remain sealed until at least September per a judge's ruling. So this is really the first time that we are getting any information on why Barry was arrested and what he was up to when Suzanne went missing. I want to preface this episode by saying that Lauren Scharf is incredible and is my main source for this episode. She was actually able to reserve a seat in the courtroom for both days of this hearing and was live tweeting everything since this hearing was not live streamed to the public. So pretty much all of this information is coming straight from Lauren. Um, I've just simply put them in a timeline for you guys to better understand and to tell the story of what's unfolding here. So shout out to Lauren and thank you for that. Also, I'm going to apologize in advance if you hear thunder in the background. I was waiting to record to see if this storm would pass. I live in the south. It is the season for this stuff. Um, and so I apologize if you hear the weather in the background, but it was either just record through it or don't get it done. All right, let's get into this case. So just as a refresher on this case, Suzanne Morphew was a 49-year-old mother of two daughters and married to her husband, Barry Morphew. She went missing on May 10th of 2020, which was Mother's Day. Barry was reportedly working in the Denver area of Broomfield, which is a little over two and a half hours to three hours away from their home in Maysville, which is in the Salida, Colorado area, also Chaffee County, Colorado. Both of her daughters were out of town. One of them was unable to get a hold of their mother that day when they went to text her a happy Mother's Day and talk to her. So they called a neighbor to go check on the house and check on Suzanne. The neighbor said Suzanne was not there and somehow the conclusion was drawn that she had gone for a bike ride. Like I mentioned, this is taking place in Salida, Colorado which is in Chaffee County, and the population is under 6,000 people. The terrain is very mountainous, and it is said that Suzanne loved mountain biking. Barry was arrested on May 5th earlier this year, almost exactly one year to the day his wife went missing, and he is being charged with first-degree murder, tampering with physical evidence, attempt to influence a public servant, tampering with a deceased human body and possession of a dangerous weapon. Now keep in mind to this day, Suzanne's body has not been found. So everyone has been really waiting on this preliminary hearing and really wanting to know what's on that arrest affidavit to understand what exactly law enforcement has that makes them confident enough to be charging Barry with first degree murder without a body. Okay. So now let's get into the information that was revealed over the past two days. First, they went over how law enforcement actually found Suzanne's bike. Now, according to Lauren Scharf reporting for Fox 21 News, Deputy Brown uh, found the mountain bike shortly after Suzanne had been reported missing. Upon seeing the bike, Brown immediately put on his body camera. The bike was found on Highway 50 and 
County Road 225 with no blood, no skid marks, no brake marks, no apparent sign of struggle, and no damage to the bicycle itself. Now, it was off the road a little bit, and I know that the front tire was facing down a hill. In this video, you can hear deputies yelling Suzanne's name in case she's in the area and within earshot. Maybe she got off her bike and went down the hill or something and was injured, fell. So they're calling out her name. Obviously, there's no reply. They can also be heard discussing how close the bike is to the Morphew home. Uh, deputies then call Barry to get a description of the bike to confirm that they have found Suzanne's and one deputy mentions that something is wrong with the front tire. Now at this point, he grabs the bike and brings it back up the road since it was located off the side a little and down the hill. He is not wearing gloves when he does this. The boyfriend of one of the daughters spoke with law enforcement at this point. He was coming out of the garage when the deputies arrived back at the Morphew home and he was telling them where Suzanne normally goes when she goes biking and he noted specifically that she usually brings her car with her and that her car was still parked at the home but that the bike was gone. I'm assuming she would drive her car to whatever trail she wanted to ride that day and that's what he means by she would bring her car with her. All of this is still being caught on the body cam footage um, from the deputies. At this point, the last time Suzanne's phone had been pinged was at 4.23 a.m. on May 10th, and it was on the Pontius Springs tour, which is roughly a 10-minute drive from um, Salida. Now, body cam footage then showed Barry Morphew arriving at the scene at about 8.46 p.m. on May 10th. The very first thing he says when he gets out of his truck is, where was the bike, followed by, was there a crash? Now, a lot of people said that this struck them as odd that he wouldn't first ask, you know, did you find Suzanne? Have you found my wife? But just to remain neutral and play devil's advocate a little bit, he could have been and most likely was receiving information from law enforcement on his way to the home. And they had already called him and asked about the bike. And I believe that they had already told him that they had found it. So... I mean, I probably still would have asked, you know, have you found my wife? But I can't really say that that's suspicious to me if he's in constant communication with law enforcement at this point. Now, the deputies then asked Barry what paths she might have taken or been riding, as well as if she was an avid mountain biker and experienced in doing this. And then they describe how they had found the bike uh, to Barry. The deputy also asked people not to touch the bike with their hands and noted that Barry had touched the bike. Now, when Barry was later interviewed, he told law enforcement that Suzanne did, did go mountain biking regularly, but that it was a relatively new hobby for her. He also mentioned an RV park that was in the area that he found suspicious that they might want to check out, and he brought up the possibility of a mountain lion attack. Now, on May 15th, Suzanne's helmet is finally found south on Highway 50, 10 meters off the road. This is roughly 8.4 miles from where Suzanne's mountain bike had been found. The helmet was not damaged and inside was a piece of paper with her name, number, and family contact information. And this is a normal thing to have in your helmet in case you are ever injured or hit by a vehicle when you're mountain biking or you know, biking on the side of the road and someone finds you. Now, Suzanne would take a camelback with her when she went biking. And this is just a brand of water bottle or they have a bunch of different kinds. They've got those backpacks that have kind of like a straw coming out of it so that you can drink your water hands-free when you are doing things such as biking. And you can Google a picture of that for a better idea if you don't know what I'm talking about. Um, this camelback was actually found in Suzanne's car which to me, that is odd. If she had really gone for a bike ride that morning, that is something I would expect to have been on her person and not left behind in her vehicle. No blood was found in the Morphew home and still has not been found throughout the entire investigation. The only thing that was noted and brought up in the hearing was that one of the daughter's bed sheets had been stripped, 
but her daughter had also had a friend over that weekend um, before they had left for their road trip. And the friend was going out of town with both of the daughters and Barry said it was normal for Suzanne to clean the bedding after a sleepover or when company was coming over or just leaving. So that's not suspicious to me. Now, over 10 law enforcement agencies have been involved in the searches for Suzanne, which are still ongoing to this day. They have also um, done numerous searches conducted by volunteers, by Suzanne's family. I know her brother um, got together a bunch of volunteers and they did a search. At the hearing, law enforcement went over the searches that had been conducted for Suzanne in all of the different types including aircrafts, drones, grid searches, um, canines, mines, ground-penetrating radar, and water teams had come in and searched the local bodies of water, and no sign of Suzanne anywhere. More than 110 search warrants were, were, have been issued in this case. The first search warrant was on May 11th of 2020 for the Morphew home, including their vehicles. The home was under investigation for about 10 days and then turned back over to Barry. Now, on July 9th, 28 law enforcement officers were involved in the second search of the Morphew home, which also included 14 FBI officers, seven CBI agents, and approximately six Chaffee County deputies. They also returned the next day and searched the home, so the search of the home was very thorough, I would say. I will say something that was randomly thrown in during this hearing that I didn't really know where to put into this episode, but to me is a huge piece of information, is that law enforcement actually found DNA on the glove box of Suzanne's Range Rover that did not belong to Barry, and law enforcement did not publicly name who it belonged to but they mentioned that the person had a record with three counts of sexual assault on it um that's all i've heard about that it was a really quick mention and then it was over with they kind of breezed over it to me that's extremely suspicious to me i don't know you guys let me know what you think about that Um, but i did want to include that in the episode because to me that's a huge piece of information Now, a little bit of light was shed on the tampering with evidence charges when Commander Andrew Walker took the stand to discuss the activity logs collected from Barry's truck and cell phone. Now, on May 10th, between 2.47 a.m. and 5.30 a.m., Barry took steps in disposing of evidence, according to page two of the arrest affidavit. Now, there is talk of a spy pen, which I'm going to explain in just a minute. But first, I'm going to go over a few of the things that they found on it. Now, this spy pen reportedly had a recording from Barry's truck of him listening to the radio. On the radio, something is playing like similar to forensic files or something um, similar to that. And the story is about a woman who went missing while bike riding. Now, this recording was from March of 2020, so less than two months before Suzanne would go missing. There are also recordings of the two arguing about money, another where Suzanne is reportedly angry about what she can and cannot wear, and this is where we get more insight into their marriage. Now, Sheila, who is a 30-year best friend to Suzanne, had told law enforcement that Suzanne and Barry had not been doing well for over a year and a half. Screenshots of text messages between Suzanne and Sheila showed Suzanne talking about how Barry would often pit their two daughters against Suzanne. Suzanne uh, reportedly spoke with Sheila about Barry's temper, saying that she didn't know what would set him off and how he would turn his phone off sometimes or put it on airplane mode, which made her suspicious that he was having an affair. Now, Sheila told law enforcement that Barry allegedly, at one point, pushed Suzanne into a closet during an argument in 2018 and put a gun to his own head and asked Suzanne if that was what she wanted. So overall, we get painted a really clear picture of how manipulative and controlling Barry is. Now, this is from Suzanne's point of view and Suzanne's best friend. So this is, you know, kind of one side of a story. I will say that. Um, but this is this is what was painted for us at the hearing. Now, when Suzanne had mentioned to Barry 
that she would want to leave the marriage, he would reply with things like, how would you pay for things like your medical bills for cancer? Suzanne previously was diagnosed with cancer, but she was actually in remission at the time of her disappearance. Um, Barry would also often use religion to manipulate Suzanne and make her feel guilty. Okay, so now we're going to go back in the timeline a little bit before Suzanne's disappearance, and we're going to go over some information that came out about Barry and Suzanne's marriage and the issues that they had been dealing with. So on day one of this hearing, after going through that timeline of the day and the days shortly after Suzanne's disappearance, we started to hear about that spy pen. Now, something about a spy pen was brought up about a week ago. I know they had a hearing um, without Barry present. I think that the defense was upset that they hadn't received all of the evidence from the prosecution. So they had a hearing for that about a week ago. And I had actually assumed that this spy pen was something that had belonged to Barry and maybe had something to do with him tampering with evidence or something of that nature. But we actually found out on the first day of the hearing that the spy pen belonged to Suzanne. So Suzanne had text messages with Sheila about Sheila maybe obtaining this pen for Suzanne. Um, So this is basically, a it looks like a normal black pen but it's a recording device that you can plant it in whatever location you choose and it's voice activated. So it records whatever, whenever it hears audio, it turns on and starts recording and then you can collect it and plug it in like a USB and download whatever audio has been recorded so far. And I know there were text messages when Sheila did obtain this pen and she was gonna ship it to Suzanne and Suzanne was worried that Barry might say something if he saw the package delivered to the home. And Suzanne had a trip planned to Florida or something like that um, where she was going to see Sheila. So she said to hold on to it and that is when she actually got it. And Suzanne had basically been suspicious that Barry was having an affair and she wanted this pen to plant it in his truck, I believe, and basically catch whatever conversations that he was having. Now, when this spy pen was brought up, that's when the kind of bombshell dropped that it wasn't actually Barry, who law enforcement had found out was having an affair, but that Suzanne had been having an affair. Now, apparently Suzanne had been seeing a man named Jeff for almost two years. So I'm not going to say his last name. It's very easy to find. I'm going to link Lauren Um, Sharf's Twitter, obviously, in the show notes because they're a major source for this episode, and she mentions him almost completely by last name. I'm I'm just going to choose not to. He's just going to go by Jeff uh, for me. He has, he was married at the time of this affair. I don't know the state of his marriage currently. Um, I've heard that he has children, so I'm just going to leave him at Jeff. The affair had begun in September of 2018 when the pair reconnected over Facebook. They had gone to high school together back in Alexandria, Indiana, which is actually where the Morphews are from before they relocated to Colorado. Now, the relationship became physical in February of 2019 when the pair met up in New Orleans. According to Agent Harris, who had spoken with Jeff, the two did not have sex on this trip, but they did fool around. The relationship became physical. Now the two met up in Indiana in April of 2019, in Michigan in July of 2019, in Dallas in October of 2019, as well as in Florida in February of 2020. The two were reportedly uh, planning a trip for Jeff to come to Colorado, but then the pandemic happened. Overall, they visited each other a total of seven times in six different locations. Now, law enforcement did not know about the affair until six months after Suzanne had disappeared. When they found the spy pen in her closet, it actually had recordings of her and Jeff on it. And I guess they had to listen to quite a few of the conversations to get an idea of who this guy was because he wasn't really named in the recordings. And I know that there was one that happened to be about five hours long that mentioned where Jeff was living in Michigan, and I think they pieced it together from there. Now, Jeff did not come forward to law enforcement when he learned of Suzanne's disappearance, which was reportedly about a day after she went missing. I know a friend sent him a link. Um, 
And like I said, Jeff was is is married as far as I know and also has children from the marriage. Um, so he says that he didn't come forward and he actually ended up deleting a bunch of messages and stuff like that. And he said he didn't want to tarnish Suzanne's legacy by, you know, with this affair. Um, I'm not buying that, to be completely honest. I think he was just trying to save his own life from falling apart, um, which is somewhat understandable but if someone goes missing I'd come forward I definitely wouldn't be wouldn't be deleting messages but that's just me um Suzanne had also not told anyone in her life about the affair as far as we know so law enforcement really had to piece together who Jeff was from those recordings because no one knew about him now Barry Morphew reportedly didn't know about the affair either and some of Suzanne's journals were found. It's not clear if all of them were found, but what law enforcement did get their hands on and look through, Suzanne did not even write about the affair in any journals. So now we get into some more recordings heard from the spy pen that shed more light on the relationship between Suzanne and Jeff and maybe what kind of relationship it was. There were recordings that said, quote, maybe we are in the clear for Valentine's Day. Barry won't be around then, end quote, um, where Suzanne could be heard on the recording saying that. Another said, quote, cannot live my life without you in it, end quote. And another one said, quote, you are the sweetest thing I've ever known, end quote. Suzanne was saying all of this to Jeff. Jeff allegedly left a message for Suzanne saying, quote, Baby, you are a sweetheart. This boy craves you, everything about you, end quote. Now, the two used LinkedIn to communicate quite frequently. Suzanne reportedly created an account in August of 2018 and logged in regularly until she went missing on May 10th of 2020. The two also used um, apps like Voxer to communicate. They also spoke over the phone. One of Jeff's daughters had actually used his phone to order pizza one night and happened to see text messages between her father and Suzanne um, while she was using the phone. And she reportedly told her older brothers and her uncle, and they obviously relayed that information to Jeff. And it's said that they had kind of a cooling off period between Jeff and Suzanne where there wasn't much communication, but by Christmas of, let's see, 2019, they had resumed communication. And I think this is when they went to using different apps like Voxer. I know they used WhatsApp and I think they stopped using normal text messaging at this point. Now, according to Agent Harris, reports of conversations between Suzanne and Jeff showed a point where Suzanne told him, yep, that they needed to switch communication apps. And at one point, Barry had actually seen some messages between the two but the extent of what Barry had seen was not made clear. So I don't think that Barry had a full understanding of what that relationship was. I think he might've seen her messaging him and maybe they were more innocent messages. So Barry didn't think much of it. Barry doesn't strike me as the type of person that would be nonchalant about finding inappropriate messages with his wife and a man. So I don't think that what he saw was the extent of their relationship. Now, Suzanne was also concerned about what Barry might be able to access if he decided to pull phone records. And so that's when they switched to these other apps. Now, Suzanne's phone and her phone charger that she kept by her bed have still not been located by law enforcement. They do not have it. So they have been using her latest iCloud backup as well as phone records from the phone company to compile this information. According to Harris, Jeff was the one who actually had gotten Suzanne interested in mountain biking, and they talked like lovers. Harris also said that the two called each other soulmates, sent each other explicit photos, and had even both spoken of marriage from each side. The two apparently spoke about living in Ecuador at one point, with Jeff pointing out that it was a cheap place to live with good health care because Suzanne obviously had health problems with cancer. And on December 27th of 2019, Suzanne allegedly researched language schools in Ecuador. Now, Jeff himself had told law enforcement that he does not believe that Barry knew about him. He said, quote, if he knew about me, he would have came after me. I just don't think he knew that Suzanne and I were together. 
end quote. Later, when asked what Jeff was doing May 9th and 10th, he said he was in Michigan, which is where he lived. He reportedly went to a hardware store for a dock project that he had been working on to buy some supplies, which checked out with his credit card statement. And I believe that his phone pinged in Michigan as well, um, which is a three hour plane ride or like a 20 hour drive from where Suzanne was. So that's his alibi. Now, on May 10th, Jeff wished Suzanne a happy Mother's Day and said that he knew it would be hard for her because she missed her own mom, um, but Suzanne never responded. And on May 11th, he messaged her again, wishing her well for her cancer treatment that day, and she did not respond to this message either, and that was allegedly the last text message between, or the last message at all that Jeff sent to her. Now, Suzanne also allegedly opened up a secret bank account with Green Dot Bank and Royal Compass Management in April of 2020. And I believe that's like a almost like a prepaid sort of debit or credit card where you load it up with money first and then you can and then you can spend it. And this was just kind of mentioned in passing. They didn't stick around on this for a long time. But at this point, I realized that the defense was going to start painting a picture of Suzanne running away from her life, basically. Agent Harris had also spoken about a conversation between Barry and one of Suzanne's good friends, Holly Wilson, where Barry had been accusing Suzanne of sleeping with a man in a basement in um, November, and that he allegedly told Holly, quote, if I find him, I will shoot off his balls and shove them down his throat, end quote. Holly said that when she asked Barry what was the last thing that he had said to Suzanne before she went missing, she remembers that he kind of stumbled over that question and had a lot of hesitation and didn't exactly remember. Now, on day two of the hearing, we hear about some text messages between Suzanne and Barry, and these are very important. And she reportedly texted him and said, quote, I'm done. I could care less about what you've been up to for years. We need to figure this out civilly, end quote. This message was sent on May 6th of 2020. Barry responded, I promise you, quote, I promise you, you are wrong about all of the crazy thoughts about me. Why would I want another? Only a fool would stray from an angel like you, end quote. Now, apparently Barry had deleted these texts on his phone, but law enforcement had found them. I'm assuming they found them on Suzanne's side of the records or from her iCloud. Now, this text message was a significant step for Suzanne, according to Agent Harris and according to her friend Sheila, because Suzanne had not ever come out and straight out and straight up said, I want out of this marriage. I'm done until this message was sent on May 6th. Now, on May 7th, Barry texted someone about getting a new truck and attempted to call Suzanne's father, whose name is Jean. On May 8th, Suzanne started a list on her phone that was 50 reasons why she wanted to leave the marriage. She was worried about women on his Facebook, I guess, um, the cameras that were in their garage, Barry accusing her of having a boyfriend, that he was onto her affair. These were just the reasons listed in this note. And on May 8th at 9.28 a.m., Suzanne sent a message to her sister about how Barry was abrasive and abusive. That night, Suzanne sent a picture of Barry outside of a pizza shop to their daughters who had been on a road trip in Utah. And between 8 and 9 p.m. on May 8th, Suzanne's Facebook codes were reset and she requested a total of 23 people on Facebook, 20 of which were men, which I find very odd. And so did the investigators. They actually asked Barry if that had been him and not Suzanne on her Facebook. And he said and he denied that. But that's really weird to me that the codes were reset and then a bunch of men were requested. I just don't like the way that looks. On May 9th, her and Barry exchanged a few texts about possibly going on a hike. Um, about getting new summer tires for the Range Rover. And I know that she mentioned uh, something about the hot tub to him. And on May 9th, Barry's phone pinged near the river behind his home from 11.50 a.m. to 12.50 p.m. And when asked what he was doing, he said he was looking for a turkey that one of his daughters had previously shot a while back, 
which is just weird. Uh, Barry left his home again around 1.38 p.m., and that's when Suzanne sent a photo to Jeff at 2.03 p.m. saying, quote, guess who is alone again, end quote. This, this photo is the last proof of life that we have for Suzanne. So now we get back into the data that was taken from Barry's truck and phone. At this point, a former FBI agent takes the stand named Johnny Grusing. He specialized in terrorism, violent crime, and he was a part of several no-body homicide cases up until his retirement, which was just two weeks ago. Now, Grusing was asked by the Chaffee County Sheriff's Office to interview Barry because he also had behavioral analysis experience, and Grusing also investigated Barry's cell phone and was asked asked to find out where Barry was on May 9th and 10th. So there is a lot of detailed information here. I am going to be as detailed as possible on this truck data and the phone data, and I hope that I'm able to do so without confusing you guys. Um, but like I said, I'm going to link all of these tweets below so that you can read through them yourselves and, and maybe get a better idea. Okay, so on May 9th of 2020, the data from Barry's truck was consistent with what Barry had told law enforcement. He went to Tailwind's property around 11 and then went home around 11.30 a.m. to eat veggie soup with Suzanne. He allegedly left around 1.30, made a few phone calls, and checked out a job at Kim's Gyms in Salida. And don't forget that from like 11.50 to 12.50, he was behind his house at the river looking for the supposed turkey or whatever. He then returned home around 2.44 p.m. And when Barry returned home, Suzanne was sunbathing and sending pictures of herself to Jeff, which she had sent that picture to him at 2.03 p.m., which is the last proof of life that we have for her. And at 2.11 p.m., Suzanne had messaged Jeff through LinkedIn telling him to get on WhatsApp because Barry was not home until 2.44. Now, phone data from Barry's phone tells Agent Grusing that Barry was moving around the home quite a bit, which Barry confirmed. And when Grusing asked what he had been doing outside, because he went back outside after he got home that second time, Barry told him, I shoot chipmunks. I have shot 86 or 85 chipmunks. When asked what type of gun he used, Barry said he used a 22 caliber to shoot chipmunks. Now, Barry's phone was then turned on airplane mode and his truck didn't move from 2.44 p.m. until 4.44 p.m. that day, May 9th. Now, I will mention that Barry and Suzanne could track each other via Find My Friends app on iPhone. And Barry has admitted that he would put his phone on airplane mode when he didn't want to be tracked. I think that works for find my find my phone or find my friends. It works when you put it in airplane mode. It can't be tracked, but satellite wise and whether your phone is pinging or not, I believe it still can be tracked. I'm not positive though. Now at 4.44 p.m., Barry's truck door opens and closes. At 5.33 p.m., the truck said power was removed and the system was rebooted. I believe this means that he literally unplugged his battery from his car and put it back in, but I'm not I'm not positive on that. At 9.25 p.m., the gear shift goes from park to reverse and moves backward in the driveway 95 feet. At 10.17 p.m. on May 9th, Barry's phone is taken out of airplane mode and places him at his home. At 3.25 a.m. on May 10th, Barry's truck doors were opened and closed. His phone moved towards where Suzanne's bike was later found by law enforcement, according to Agent Grusing. So a lot of people think that he planted the bike at this point. At 4.31 a.m., Barry's phone went back into airplane mode, then came off airplane mode as he headed towards Broomfield, Colorado, which is in the Denver area, which I believe is where he told law enforcement his work site was that day, which it is. At 5.37 a.m., he was heading towards Buena Vista, which is a 30, 30-ish minute drive from Salida. 
in about three hours from Broomfield. At 6.10 a.m., Barry texted his mother, Shirley, happy Mother's Day. He texted her before he texted Suzanne. He then texted Suzanne up right after and said, quote, you up, question mark, and then sent another one that said, happy Mother's Day, I love you, end quote. At 8.10 a.m., he stopped at an RTD bus stop in Broomfield off of Highway 36, and this is where a string of trash dumps begin that are extremely odd. At the bus stop, his truck, passenger, and driver's doors bolt open. According to the data, it took him two minutes to throw something away that was a few feet from his truck. So, kind of a long time to throw something away that when, when it's right next to your truck. Barry allegedly arrives at the Holiday Inn Express in Broomfield where he parked on the south side. His doors open and close again. Allegedly, when he first arrived at the hotel, he had another trash run. And Barry, when he was asked, said he didn't remember what he threw away. And there's no video surveillance on the south side of this hotel. At 8.25 a.m., Barry walked into the hotel and went into his room around 8.38 a.m. Barry had something small in his hand on the surveillance screenshot. Uh, when he was going into the hotel and into his room, but Agent Grusing could not decide what it was. Next, Barry carries multiple items into his room, including hiking boots, a teal-covered piece of clothing, a darker black piece of clothing, and a light blue bag. At 8.41 a.m., Barry sends Susanna a text saying that he made it to Broomfield. Barry then stays in his hotel room for an hour, and when he leaves, he is no longer wearing the long sleeve shirt that he had on before. Instead, now he is wearing a black V-neck t-shirt. He also has a trash bag and hiking boots in his hands. Now, when asked about that, Barry said that there were holes in the hiking boots, but that the laces were fine. So he wanted to take them back to his room and remove the laces to keep them and then trash the boots, which I, to me, that's odd. I asked my husband about that and that he, he was like, what? No. So I don't know. Everyone's different. Maybe some people keep laces. That's just odd to me. Photos of this from the surveillance video were shown in court um, of him carrying the boots and um, the trash bag. At 9.12 a.m., Barry leaves the hotel and goes up around to where his actual work site is at the hotel, but he never parks. He just kind of drives up there and then goes past it. He then goes to McDonald's in Broomfield and throws items away there. He is seen in the surveillance video for this pushing trash down into the trash can with both hands. So when Lauren later talked about this, she said that all of these surveillance videos that they saw with the trash, I mean, it sounds suspicious just saying it out loud in this order, but oh my gosh, sorry, that was the biggest strike of lightning. It sounds weird just talking about it and laying out this timeline, but she said it looked so suspicious him pushing all of this trash down it looked like what he was trying to do was actually push put the trash like push it into the bottom of the trash so that like if someone happened to peer into a trash can that they like wouldn't see what he threw away which is just very very weird um let's see when asked what he threw away he again said that he could not remember he then went to a car wash and a men's ha- uh, warehouse parking lot Now, Barry spent 40 minutes dumping trash at the men's warehouse parking lot in Broomfield, according to his truck data. The doors opened and closed. So he clearly got into his truck from another side. Now, the FBI said the only thing that Barry would admit to throwing away was tranquilizer material. And I know that a, I think it was a tranquilizer cap was found in his dryer, I believe at his home. Um, which is very weird, but it's also not. Barry was like a really avid hunter. But I mean, to me, why would you carry tranquilizer darts for animals that you're going to shoot and kill? I just don't. Someone, if someone understands that, please message me on social media and, and let me know what that's about. 
Barry returned back to the hotel with a large notebook and a bunch of unorganized papers. He then left the hotel 20 minutes later with the same notebook in hand and the same papers, but they were organized now. He had also changed again into a gray t-shirt now. At this point, Barry finally goes to the wall in Broomfield that he's supposed to be working on, where he removed blocks from the retaining wall and spent a total of 11 to 15 minutes working. Now, this job was for Garrett Construction, who told law enforcement that the job would would require a bobcat, and Barry knew that, and that it was actually illegal to work on a Sunday in the city of Broomfield, which Barry also knew. I believe it was because it was a government job, and that's why it's illegal to work on a Sunday for a government job there. Now, at 12.06 p.m., Barry calls one of his daughters. At 3.30 p.m., he sends a text to Suzanne telling her to call him. And at 5.15 p.m., he gets a call from someone named Mr. Ritter. I don't know who that is, though. Hotel surveillance shows Barry moving two bags to a dumpster and a camo coat and tree container at 12.27 p.m. earlier that day. He then walks away from the dumpster with his head down and hands in his pocket. Now, from 12.42 until 5.55 p.m., Barry does not leave his hotel room in Broomfield. And this does not match up with the statement that he gave to law enforcement back in early May of this year. He initially told law enforcement that he had been working at the wall during that entire time. And at 5.55 p.m., Barry had also changed his shirt for the third time as he left his hotel room. Now, Agent Grusing said that Barry would not say what he was doing in the hotel room. But then later he went back and mentioned that he was watching Fox News and a basketball show. After 6 p.m., Barry took multiple trips in and out of the hotel, bringing in hand tools. And then he asks the front desk person if it would be okay for him to leave the tools for his workers who would be coming in later. According to an employee at Salida Stove and Spa, Barry visited the store between... So this is the day before. On May 9th, Barry had visited a store called Salida Stove and Spa. Now, there were 19 miles that had been unaccounted for in Barry's truck data for when Barry went to Broomfield the next day. And it is believed that it's this trip to the Salida Stove and Spa trip that would account for approximately 18 miles. So they think that's where the missing time gap was. Now, this is only brought up because when asked what his theory was, Agent Grusing actually says at the hearing that he believed Barry Morphew did something to, to Suzanne when he got home on May 9th. He believes the cell data of Barry moving around the home was actually him chasing Suzanne throughout the home. And when asked by the defense if Agent Grusing thought Barry, quote, did something awful to his wife at 2.45 p.m. and then went to get his hot tub fixed right after, Agent Grusing said that it was his belief that the Salida Stove and Spa employee did not have accurate timing when they gave their statement. So he... So he's saying that he does think that it was May 9th, which a lot of people have been speculating that they think that something actually happened to her on May 9th and that it was just May 10th that she was actually reported missing. Now, Suzanne's phone reportedly made an outgoing call at 2.53 a.m. on May 10th, which was a half hour before Barry's door activity began on his truck outside of his home, which is also very suspicious. And after they wrap up with this truck information and Agent Grusing kind of gives his um, theory of what's going on, they begin wrapping up the hearing. Um, at this point, the defense basically just starts trying to poke holes in all of this evidence, which is their job. Uh, it's what they're there to do. And there's a lot of speculation about why Barry's phone would be going in and out of airplane mode. I personally think, I'm so sorry, the lightning is literally insane, and I, there's no time of day that this is going to go away. I, I watched the weather, so I apologize if you guys can hear this, but I personally think that the airplane mode situation, yeah, that's, that's weird, but the trash dumpings are the most damning piece of evidence 
that we've heard about in just these past two days, in my opinion. I think that's very suspicious to go to like five different locations and start dumping a bunch of trash that you just can't remember what any of this trash is. That's just very bizarre. I don't understand that. That and Suzanne's affair, I think, provided us with a um, very realistic motive. Um, And so I found that very interesting as well. So I want to get into a few of the theories that are floating around um, about, you know, what happened to Suzanne. One is that this is a gone girl type of situation. And at one point it was mentioned in the hearing that Barry notified law enforcement about about $70,000 in cash that was missing from the safe. And it was after a search warrant that he had been, that he had told um, law enforcement about this. So it wasn't made clear at this point if Barry was saying that Suzanne had taken that money or if it could have been collected as evidence of some sort. They didn't really clarify that as far as I know. But that mixed with the opening of that bank account and the affair and the talk about living in Ecuador has led some people to believe that Suzanne actually planned this out and is like off grid somewhere alive and doesn't want anyone knowing where she is. I wish this was true so that Suzanne could be alive. Uh, Unfortunately, I just don't see this being realistic, mostly because Suzanne's a mother. Her daughters have been going through absolute hell, not to mention the fact that they could be close to losing their father and they don't have their mother. I don't see her sitting back and just watching that happen to her daughters. Um, So for me, that theory isn't very realistic, but that is one of them. Another theory is that Barry killed and dismembered her and he was actually dumping her body at all of those trash dumps. Now, I can see why people would think that, But to me, this is just not realistic because of how much of an emphasis law enforcement has put on the fact that no blood evidence has been found in the home or in any of the vehicles. To not find a single scrap of blood evidence is extremely rare if there was any dismemberment or anything like that happening. So... I just don't think that's realistic. That would be extremely difficult to pull off, but it is a it is a possibility. Another theory and the one that I personally am leaning more towards, just a trigger warning, this is kind of gross, is um, that Barry killed Suzanne, maybe string with strangulation, maybe drowned her in the hot tub. I know they've been talking about that. Who knows? and used and disposed of her body using alkaline hydrolysis, which is basically, uh, just to dumb it down, like when you see people dissolving a body in acid, in acid mixture. It just basically is a compound mixture that speeds up the decomposition process. And I believe that he was getting rid of evidence at those trash dumps and that he was doing that to Suzanne's body during those hours where he did not leave his hotel room and wouldn't really be clear about what he was doing that entire time. That's my personal opinion. Obviously, I, you know, that's just conjecture. I just want to make that very clear. This is speculation. There are alternate um, theories about the DNA found on the glove compartment of Suzanne's Range Rover. You know, who did that belong to and how did it get there? That is very fascinating to me, and I really can't get over that until I hear an explanation for it. I really am dying for them to identify that person. That's very, very weird to me. Others have obviously pointed to Jeff, her lover. However, I believe law enforcement has gone down that road and has corroborated his alibi. So personally, for me, I don't see him as a possibility. I think law enforcement has ruled him out. Um... I just want to be very clear. This is all speculation. There's no evidence that's been released to point to any of these theories. Um, This is just what people are talking about. I thought I would mention them um, because I kind of want to hear what you guys think. Um, So let me know. Let me know which theory you guys are leaning towards and what you think happened. (sighs) Overall, I think Barry is the one that's in custody for 
a very good reason. And I think that there's a lot more information that will come out over the next few weeks. And once this hopefully does end up going to trial, we will have a much clearer understanding of exactly what happened to Suzanne and hopefully her family can get some peace and ideally bring her home. Either way, this case is absolutely tragic. Two young women have lost their mother and now are at risk for losing their father and I don't really see any winners in this case. I just hope that there's justice for Suzanne. So this preliminary hearing will consist of four days total. So I just covered the first two days and the next and last two days are August 23rd and 24th this year. And then I believe the arrest affidavit for Barry is supposed to be unsealed in the beginning of September. So depending on what's going on with that, I may wait to do another update unless the judge decides for some reason to keep that sealed, at which point I'll do an update right after the next hearings. Otherwise, I'll wait until that's unsealed so that I can get a lot more information. But that was a lot of info to unpack. Thank you guys um, for listening. Thank you again to Lauren Sharp for Fox 21 News. Some of those, some of this episode was literally word for word her tweets. I will link her Twitter in the show notes. I highly suggest you go read them yourself and definitely give her a follow. I didn't read every single one, so there's a little more information in there. Um, I definitely suggest you check it out. She has been with this case since the very beginning, and she's been on top of every everything that has come out related to this case, all of the information. She's reporting it immediately. So definitely give her a follow if this is a case that you're actively, actively watching and want to know what's going to happen. Let me know what you guys think. Do you think Barry's innocent or guilty, or do you have other theories that I didn't list? I really want to hear from you guys. But thank you so much for tuning in for another episode. As always, my sources will be listed in the show notes. You can connect with me on social media on Instagram and Facebook at True Crime Cases Pod and on Twitter at TC Cases Pod. I would love to hear from you guys. I'd love to hear what you think about this case and the other cases that I've been covering, as well as suggestions for what you want me to cover in future episodes. Thank you all again. I hope you have a great week and I will be back next Tuesday with a brand new case. Thank you.